Hello everybody and welcome into episode 72 of the Diamond Duo podcast. I'm Tony Puglisi, brought to you as always by my co-host and co-producer Tom Bauer, here to bring you everything that was, is, and will be about Major League Baseball. This episode of the Diamond Duo podcast is brought to you by cocaine, doing less damage than just the Chicago White Sox. Oh my god. Don't do drugs, kids. <laughs> That's the intro you chose to go with. That's I told you. Was. I told you I had one that I'm like, I don't know if it will fly. Let me think of a backup. <laughs> You're like, no, just go. Run with it from the seat of your pants. You got this. And to be fair, oh last episode, we had AI ask, we asked AI for a romantic intro or whatever the f- was this is nothing <laughs> oh editor tom's gonna have the moral dilemma of try if he wants to censor anything from that <laughs> oh that, that's want, gonna I be could, fun in a day or two <laughs> if you want i could do it again no don't do it again i am proud of that intro i'm glad you went in that direction you're setting the tone for the episode, episode 72 of the Diamond Duo Podcast. Hi, everyone. Welcome in. <laughs> oh, my God. That was amazing. That's one of your best intros, I will say. One take, clean, <laughs> amazing. Well, not clean, but you did it in one take. I, I so I'm proud say. of you for that. You went over the line. It, it's amazing. <laughs> the line. Th- <laughs> oh. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> oh, we're f***ing well over that line, and nah, I'm saying that. That's no, 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 with cocaine. <laughs> oh, we should stop while we're ahead. Don't do drugs, kids. <laughs> yeah, please, please, that's the message. Do not do drugs, please, <laughs> just, don't. Just joke about them, like me and Tom. You know, good influences, maybe, probably not, but anyway. <laughs> anyway, Tom, how you doing? not good influences. <laughs> I have a long list of drops and sound effects and bloopers that says we are terrible influences, Tony. But <laughs> and you know for a fact we just added like two of them, bare minimum, to that list. Yes, we did. I am doing splendid though. I'm in a better mood now that we're talking about cocaine so early on in the episode. What the hell is going on? <laughs> Please, someone frame that. I'm in a better mood now that we're talking about cocaine. Tom Bauer, 2023. I want you to, like, take that to your next job interview. Like, hey, you know, I worked at my current job for X number of years. I did a lot at my college radio. And I do this podcast. Take a listen. And it's that clip. That's what you lead with. Oh, God. The amazing things we do when we record past 11 o'clock at night the amazing things that we say the amazing t-shirts we could possibly sell god forbid rotoware ever approached us and this podcast (laughs) took off to extreme levels the amount of merch we can make from just the stupid crap that we've said over the past like two years of doing the show it's almost our two-year anniversary of the show too like that's in another week or two as well so happy two-year anniversary i guess tony (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we should probably talk about some baseball. 
absolutely should. I didn't even notice it was past 11, I'm gonna be honest. <laughs> oh my god, I'd say this is one of our most chaotic intros, but you know what, that's a lie. This is probably... This, this is middle mid compared of the to road. others. Yeah, this is your invitation to go listen. Just pick one of our other episodes out of a hat. If you're a new listener, you'll probably find a crazier intro. I.E., go listen to episode 71, which... Not for nothing, may have been one of our best episodes to date. I think we both expressed that. We we actually met up in person recently, and we'll probably talk about that later in the episode. But that episode was fantastic, if only for the intro and outro alone. Probably the best thing AI's ever done for this Earth. Uh, It truly was a special, special treat. The timestamps are in the last episode's description if you do want to check that out for yourself. Uh, Please go do that. We are not going to use AI in this episode. I swear I won't use AI for an outro yet. (laughs) Something may change to where that prompts me to do it. What if you screw up enough again? Yeah, exactly. Or if I get a bright idea that like I got last episode for the intro and the outro, aka write a sexy intro, write a sexy outro. Thanks for the trombone in Discord, Tony. Uh, but, um, yeah, no, hopefully I don't, hopefully I don't have any of those ideas. Hopefully I just stick to baseball and I'm just going to leave it at that. I was going to say something about having a clean episode, but I already know we're off to have a, a great start on that department. So let me do a clean episode. I said this was brought to you by cocaine. Read the disclaimers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I will. This we're recording on Monday, August 28th at 1107 PM. So if anything happens after that time and date, then we probably won't cover it unless it's so significant that we absolutely need to. <laughs> also, go follow us on social media on Instagram at the Diamond Duo Podcast on X, formerly known as Twitter, better known as Twitter. I still call it Twitter at Diamond Duo Pod. For more show content, updates, etc., so forth, whatever we decide to put out, it will be on both of those platforms. And I'll even throw in another disclaimer that we have not done before, which we probably should have. Give us a rating on Apple or Spotify or follow the podcast. Subscribe to it so you can stay up to date when we get new episodes so you don't have to wait for me to inevitably post delayed announcements to episodes on Instagram and X. So... Yeah, that's something that we probably should have said for the past 72 episodes, but we're mentioning it now for the first time. If you want to, please do so. We truly appreciate the five stars and the follow slash subscription. Hopefully agreed. I don't know how it took us so many episodes to think of that. (laughs) Nicely done. Thank you. And I just got to say super quick, you saying X formerly known as Twitter reminded me of something. Did you see that the Brewers, this is going to lead right into baseball, but did you see the Brewers tweeted something out? Like, I I don't know if they deleted it or they got called out, but Mark Canna hit a home run and his Twitter handle is out of the park Mark. And the tweet for the home run said something like, oh, Mark Canna living up to his Twitter name or his Twitter handle and all the comments like, don't you mean his X handle? And I think they actually took the post down. Oh my God. Oh, who cares? And everything. Or sorry, reposted it and everything. God, I f- hate X nowadays. I just thought, I hate X. <laughs> <laughs> Such a dumb... Either way, I said this is going to lead into baseball. It absolutely is. Let's just jump right in before we start yes, talking please. about X, formerly known as Twitter, some more. And get right into the news, as we said last week. And speaking of last week, last week was kind of the drama 
centered episode. This one mm-hmm. is this one I colloquially titled this one the Sad Boy Hours episode because actually there's really only two Sad Boy stories. The third one, the third big story, should be very, very good news to one specific franchise. But we'll get to that in just a minute. Uh, right don't now, worry, Tony. They'll shoot their chances out of that. Oh, that good news. I, I ah, definitely phrased go. that terribly, but you'll know where I'm going if you've paid attention to headlines. It's it's all good, man. You took a shot in the dark and you didn't hit. It's all right. Not all of them do. <laughs> Unlike the... <laughs> yeah, I, that's bad taste. I'm going to stop myself. It, right it is. There. So, uh, yeah, you'll, you'll know why it's in poor taste. And while we'll, we'll probably <laughs> apologize for our terrible humor later in the episode. Get on with the headlines, please. <laughs> Pulling the plug, let's go straight into the first story we've got. Definitely the most significant and the most unfortunate because we have just gotten confirmation that the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim, of California, of Los Angeles are cursed because Shohei Otani has a tear in his UCL. He will not pitch for the remainder of the season. The actual extent of the tear is not known at the moment, nor the likelihood of surgery, which, knowing it's a ulnar collateral ligament injury, that would likely be Tommy John. His second Tommy John in, what, five years? I remember he got it right when he came over to the States for the first time. Regardless whether or not he needs surgery, Tom, let's just say this might be... It may be a bit presumptuous to say, because given his potential and the sheer volume of what he could bring to a team, someone's still definitely going to pay handsomely for his services. You know, a Steve Cohen or, you know, an Andrew Friedman and the LA Dodgers, their ownership group. But I kind of get a sense that at least with most other teams, he may have shed a couple million dollars in their eyes, maybe even a couple hundred million, depending on how, how much folks pony up for him. The price is going to be something with his free agency looming. He's still going to make a crap ton of money, and I will get into my exact thoughts on that in a second. But first, let's talk about his injury a little bit more before we talk about free agency, because I think that's really the only fair thing to do. So again, Tony mentioned the extent of the injury. We don't know. What we do know is he's not going to pitch the rest of the season, but he's going to hit. Which, if you ask me, is a terrible idea. But then again, the Angels definitely want to see Shohei Otani in an Angels uniform on the diamond for as long as possible. Because they've only got about a month left for that reality to take place. (laughs) Uh, Going into the injury a little bit more, it looks like this could have been possibly a lingering issue almost. From some comments that Perry Manazian, the Angels GM, made um, per Jeff Fletcher an Angels beat writer for SoCal News Group. And pretty much, Manazian revealed that the Angels offered to do an MRI on Shohei's arm earlier in the month of August of 2023, but Shohei and his agent refused because they didn't think it was necessary. So what does that tell us? It tells us he was definitely feeling fatigue at some points, and he has skipped starts because of fatigue and the workload that he does, and that's to be expected, and that's what the Angels signed up for initially when they signed Shohei. They knew that could be a possibility, and that's completely acceptable. But what that tells me is that he's felt some pain possibly in his arm, not just fatigue, for quite a little bit of time, and the Angels actually wanted to do something smart for once. (gasps) I know, shocking. But... Shohei and his agent refused. Why would they do that? Well, it all comes down to the dollar signs that are going to happen. 
Maybe Shohei thought he could have pitched through it, and maybe it wasn't that big of a pain until it was revealed that he tore his UCL. Uh, obviously not good. He could still hit, so obviously he wouldn't feel any pain there. Well, he probably feels pain there, but he's going to do a hell of a lot better of a job showing it there, so he can still give the Angels the services that way. But when it comes down to pitching and throwing a baseball and really anything of the sort, to me, again, the dollar signs come to mind because of that looming free agency, Tony. Everybody was saying he's going to be that $500 million man come free agency. And he still might get that because here's the thing, Shohei could still be worth that money. Even if he doesn't pitch. Well, if he doesn't pitch, his value definitely takes a tank. That's going to suck. But if, even if he can pitch 15 games, do you know the amount of publicity and attention and ticket sales and everything else that Shohei will provide for said team, astronomical numbers are going to get a hell of a lot more than that $500 million valuation of the contract. Also, something to keep in mind with said contract, Shohei's number is going to start probably at $350 to $400 million. It's only going to go up from there, and he could say it still starts at $500 million because teams are still going to bid for him. Some big market team is going to be stupid enough to pay him possibly over $500 million. Unless there's really significant damage. But even then, he's not going to take less money from a team. That would be stupid. It's not going to be a matter of insurance or adding certain years or incentives or anything like that. No. Why would he take that risk? He knows his valuation and they're trying to save a little bit of money. So if they could have kind of hid the injury under the rug, teams wouldn't know until you put pen to paper and sign that contract and then take your physical. Regardless of what actually happens, my uh, my perception of this looming free agency forum is, Tom, do you remember the Carlos Correa saga that took place last <laughs> offseason? Uh, I know it like the back of my hand because we had to re-record three times because of it. For one episode. <laughs> oh, God. God, don't remind me of that. But... <laughs> I have, <laughs> I have a sneaking suspicion that something that drastic, it won't happen again like that, but I almost worry that, let's just say, God forbid, his physical turns up bad, like surgery levels of bad, and he won't even be able to pitch that first year. Or, sorry, he won't be able to play that first year. I honestly worry a team is still stupid enough to give him way more than what he could actually give you on the field. I completely agree that the name value and the novelty of being a two-way player should make up for that in the long run, but my biggest fear is that he'll keep getting hurt. It'll be like a Ken Griffey Jr. in Cincinnati argument, where it's kind of like a Murphy's Law of injuries. If he keeps trying to perform at the level he is, it's just going to lead to more and more problems, which I'm going to be honest, Tom, I saw an interesting proposition on Twitter the other day, or the other day, like when the injury was first announced, that if Shohei wasn't a starter, if he was just a lockdown, one-inning, fireballing closer who threw every now and again and still hit normally, I wonder if that would be more beneficial to Shohei in the long term. I'm not saying he should start with that. I feel like if he is healthy and physically able to, he should stay in the rotation for as long as he wants because it's obviously what he's good at. It's obviously what he wants, and it gives his team the best chance of winning unless that team is Los Angeles Angels. But, you know, one guy can't do it himself. <laughs> but 
I feel like later on down the road, I mean, we've seen starters make that turn before in Dennis Eckersley, John Smoltz, both in the Hall of Fame. And even though Shohei has only been a full-time starter for, what, like three years now? In MLB, obviously, back in back in Japan, he was a starter for many, many more years. It still would not be... Like, let's just say it would still be, like, a noble thing to do. Like, realizing, hey, I don't have the gas in the tank I used to. I don't want to shred my arm. I'll just pitch when I'm able to from the bullpen. It may not be what he wants. It definitely shouldn't be what they lead with. But if it ends up as that, then it is what it is. You still got a dynamite bat in the lineup who's a 45 homer threat year in and year out. And not for nothing, Tom, that's definitely contributing to it a little bit. We've both seen Shohei Otani swing. A bunch of you listening have probably seen Shohei Otani swing. He swings like he's right at a top of a building if he were to make contact with it. He swings hard. And if you're swinging lefty, that right hand that he's throwing with is leading. Like, that's that's what's going right to the plate and straight across. So. You're putting a lot of pressure on that arm just from swinging normally. If you're swinging as hard as Shohei is, you're doing yourself a lot more harm than you're doing good. So taking it easy is definitely the move for the rest of the season. Uh, I, I agree with you in a sense that it's probably not smart that he keeps playing and risks injury more. But if you remember last year, Bryce Harper actually played through pretty much the same injury as a full-time DH. And he hit amazing for the first half of the year. He was on an MVP pace until Blake Snell drilled him in the head. Thank you for that. My fantasy team really, really needed that, Blake Snell. Thank you. <laughs> but no, definitely a situation for Shohei and the Angels. Angels, it's not even a bother at this point. It's not like they were going to keep him anyway. I, I guess for now, we just have to wait and see when it comes to his future, who gets him, how they'll use him. There are people speculating if he'll even pitch at all ever again in the future. I feel like he'll at least try he has to in order to be worth the money he wants. All we could do for now is really speculate, and that's kind of a fool's errand with a situation like this. It's just, it was a really shit day for baseball. You know, not seeing him at full strength, at full capabilities, is just really sad. And after that, Ben Verlander won't have to cry on Twitter for eight, <laughs> eight tweets in a day after <laughs> the injury gets announced. I know that kind of kills the mood, but I'm so sorry, Tom. This dude posted like he just lost a loved one when the news came out. It's honestly like kind of scary. If I was Shohei, I'd have my lawyers drafting up restraining papers. Like, stay the f away from me. <laughs> I mean, he practically is a loved one. For all we know, he has a poster of him over his bed, like when he sleeps at night. <laughs> he's got a giant flathead. The, yeah, exactly. The way he tweets about him. <laughs> It might be like that. He might even have angel wings that he puts on Shohei Otani's shoulders. He might have another fat head of those and just <laughs> slap him right on. <laughs> ah, do a little custom roof work and Photoshop at the same time. That probably works wonders. All kidding, though. Uh, and all kidding aside here, I want to get back to a point that you were saying, do I think Shohei will pitch again in Major League Baseball? Of course he's going to make the effort, too. So, yes, I oh, yeah. do think he will. Maybe not next year. Or at least maybe not for the start of next year. It depends if he has to get surgery on this in the offseason. Chances are he probably will. It might have to be another Tommy John surgery, unfortunately, for him, which he's already had one. But if that's the case, his free agency will certainly be interesting because he'll miss practically a year of baseball, which is not good for either Shohei Otani, the team that signs him, or the sport of baseball. Because again, like you said, they did lose that face of baseball. But he'll pitch again. 
And I think that bullpen suggestion is actually a really good one because it allows him to utilize his stuff, his really nasty stuff, to the max. And guess what happens when batters see that less and less? It's going to be harder to pick up on his stuff. If they go around like two or three times in the order, hitters are going to kind of have a much better game plan that second or third time around. If they only face him one time, maybe not if at all, through an entire series or just an entire game, he might have better success out of the bullpen. So maybe that is a decent option. It'll definitely decrease his workload. He'll still obviously train just as hard as normal, but he'll still be just as valuable, arguably. A little bit less value on the war, but he'll still probably win the MVP. Like, he's going to win it this year no matter what happens. Even if he sits out the whole month of September, he's the unanimous MVP. Well, maybe not unanimous, but he's got 9.6 war the last I checked. Of course he's going to win the MVP, even if he misses a month of the season. It's ridiculous not to think that, because no one else in the AL is going to be even able to make that case. So yes, he's going to pitch again. Long-winded answer. You know who, Tom Pop Quiz, you know who's not going to be better than ever uh, after all this? Who's that? The Los Angeles Angels. Oh, of course not. Because <laughs> <laughs> well, to be honest, the number... The number one thing I got from this outside, like, the number one thing I got from the aftermath of the injury, I'll say that, is Perry Manassia just being an absolute snitch to the media. Like, the complete <laughs> transparency that Shohei and his agent turned down the MRI, the imaging, that way to piss off your generational talent, because you got to imagine that that had to have ticked off his agent being like, wow, way to make it sound like we were the ones that, you know, facilitated the injury, which to be fair, kind of did, probably could have been, if not avoided, at least seen well and ahead of time. But yeah, no, Perry it basically is waving the white flag here. No shot they sign him back now as if they ever would to begin with. I imagine Artie's still going to uh, pony up to try and sign him again. <laughs> Granted, they're still anchored to that awful Anthony Rendon contract for the next what like three four years I don't know maybe they try maybe they cut him in the cut him in the spring and see what they could do from there but no that's that's a fool's errand that's never gonna happen just like the Angels being a respectable organization because Tom I, I'd like to draw your attention <laughs> this is kind of closing off the show hey discussion if you're cool with that if you have anything else you wanted to say just please just oh jump right back in please go on lead the way because you put this on the rundown and you have the tweets in front of you because this to me is the funniest that i've seen happen to the angels in a minute and mind you this is a team that has stupid crap happen to it all the time literally all the time so an espn article gets posted to twitter uh or at least retweeted by somebody, and it's called A Decade of Disaster, as Shohei's uh, free agency looms, Artie's angels are at a crossroads, yada yada yada. To which, someone adds C.J. Wilson, former MLB pitcher of both the Texas Rangers and the LA Angels, most notably, he may have pitched for more teams, but for this, for this instance, those two teams are the most important. And C.J. Wilson puts this team on blast i mean it like no holds barred i'm retired and you can't do anything to me f you and he like he rattles off how many i think four four tweets in a row completely ousting the angels organization for being cheap and negligent 
I'll read them out to you because they're tweets, they're very short. First one, when they refused to buy Pujols a special treadmill because it was too expensive, that was comical. I don't know. To me, that sounds like a great way to to treat the guy you just opened the f***ing vaults for. Hey, man, we'll pay you a salary of $50 quadrillion a year. You'll be the star of the team next to Mike Trout, and you'll get to finish your Hall of Fame career with us. Cool. Can I have a treadmill? No. <laughs> so someone then asks for more. Someone literally says, tell us more, CJ. So, I love this tweet. Tell us more, CJ, so we can report Artie to the FBI. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why it's so dumb. And it's better because he obliges. He says a big thing. There was no breakfast served at spring training until the second week in 2012. That's comical. Let me tell you, not giving your players breakfast at spring training. That to me just seems a little silly. Uh, what seems even sillier to me is no weight room until 2013. I don't know, they're athletes, they may want to work on their strength and conditioning, but not with Artie's Angels. Coming from Texas, where fitness was 100% expected, it was shocking how lazy the- how lazy they expected the players to be. <laughs> Imagine telling players, just run really hard to first base and you'll get in shape. Yeah, tell Albert Pujols to run really fast to first base. <laughs> That's gonna work really well. Imagine, this one's great, imagine telling your players to be physically ready for 8am workouts by stopping at Chick-fil-A if you need to eat, end quotation marks. Ah, oh, boy. That is the funniest, most biblical spitting of fire directed at an organization I've seen out of baseball in a very, very long time. The Angels just cannot catch a break. God, they, they might be cursed. They might be like the next curse of the Billy Goat, man. This is a special kind of cursed. I mean, you heard the movie Angels in the Outfield. They need a lot more than some angels in the Outfield. They need some angels <laughs> over Artie Moreno's shoulders just to guide him <laughs> into making his franchise do the right thing for once. We've had issues in the past with the Angels. They're minor leagues. Like, a year or so ago, we were reporting that they treat their minor leaguers so terrible, and they made their organization as a whole look so bad just because of how little they've done for their minor leagues. It was either them or Oakland. I think it was them. Angels. Angels. Okay, so I am on the right track then. I think so, yeah. And now CJ kind of shares the truth, quote-unquote, because, again, we're not going to be able to prove it's true unless other players come out and say so. But C.J. Wilson, I don't think, had a bad reputation in the game, necessarily, when he was there. He was embraced very much and was a marketable figure for the Angels when he signed with them in free agency. So I, I'm inclined to believe, based on that and the track record of Art Moreno's work in Anaheim, that these are true. That's not a good look for the Angels. If they're true, then add it to the pile. That's all I'm going to say to this. Add it to the, the mountain of pages we can add to the encyclopedia of Artie's Angels. That's it. Psych! Well, well, well. If we aren't back recording on Wednesday, August 30th. Woo. Uh, yeah. If anybody has been paying attention to baseball headlines in the past few days, and you know exactly what team we were talking about, <laughs> cue the clown show. 
Oh, yeah. The Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. The biggest clown show in all of baseball. They've somehow topped what we were talking about previously. On Monday, we had this conversation. Less than 24 hours goes by. And they make headlines in probably the stupidest fashion possible. Because pretty much every meaningful move they made at the trade deadline was all for nothing. Less than a month of service. As the great Neville Papperman once said. You'll rue this day. You'll rue it. Yes, and they did rue the day. They rue it. Uh, Tony didn't th- I cut that up before. <laughs> Full disclosure, I cut that up as a, in the recording process of this episode. And Tony literally two minutes before we started rolling said, I wonder when we're going to finally get that into a show. I had that on the back burner. I just want you to know that, Tony. I didn't think you'd use it this soon. I figured we'd use it for like, oh, if a in the off season, if a free agent or if a team doesn't get their free agent or something like that, or someone like flees at the next year's trade deadline. I didn't think this. I mean, to be fair, by God, it fits very, very well because at this rate, <laughs> Artie Moreno and every single Angels fan is ruining. No, rather, I, I scratch that. Every single Angels fan on planet Earth is ruining the day they started rooting for this godforsaken franchise because I'm going to be straight with you, ladies and gentlemen. I'm going to shoot this as clear cut as I possibly can. This is probably the dumbest thing I've ever seen a baseball team do sorry for the uh, like the additional sensor tom yeah <laughs> thanks we, any any time man <laughs> <laughs> but either way i bet y'all are wondering what exactly it is we're talking about even though like tom said if you follow the sport you definitely know what we're talking about i don't think anything like this has ever happened at least since we've been alive a Culling of this magnitude has just not, it's unheard of. It is absolutely unheard of. But here we are. And here we are to report to you that the Los Angeles Angels have placed the following players on waivers. Lucas Giolito, Hunter Renfro, Randall Gritchick, Matt Moore, Ronaldo Lopez, and Dominic Leone. Now, being on waivers does not mean they are outright cut from the team. That basically means they are put on a set list that every other team in Major League Baseball can make a pass at and attempt to sign to their team if it is their turn in the waiver order. Like, for instance, the waiver order this year goes A's, Royals, Rockies, White Sox, etc. I think it's based off of worst record to best record. You you said yes? Okay, so... (laughs) any of those six players now have a chance to be picked up by literally any other team as of i'm pretty sure tomorrow tom they actually hit the waivers and if none of them if one of them doesn't get picked up they go straight back to the angels with probably a healthy heaping of salt with them (laughs) that's gonna be a really awkward locker room i'm not gonna lie Just straight up cut, because this wasn't just the trade deadline. This is Hunter Renfro and uh, Matt Moore, who they got in the offseason. <laughs> and in case any of you were wondering, wow, why would they do that? Are they really just throwing in the towel? Well, technically, yes. Technically, they are. But in reality, what does Artie Moreno love more than anything in the world, other than himself? 
Shohei Otani. Uh, yes. Uh, no, no, no. Ben Verlander loves him more. Oh. I think that's actually the second joke I made about him, because I think I joked about him on Monday. Yeah, you did. Uh, that that was earlier in the episode, I believe, to this point. <laughs> so, apologies if it was like two minutes ago. I have no idea when I made that joke. But, nevertheless, there's one thing Artie Moreno loves more than anything on this earth, and that's money. And with this move, he gets to save a ton of it. Because I'm pretty sure, Tom, correct me if I'm wrong, he will save a whopping $7 million by cutting these players. And in doing so, it should get him under the luxury tax, putting him in a good position to, in theory, sign Shohei Otani. But I need to ask, Artie, Artie, man, I know you're listening because obviously you took our advice when we clowned on your trade acquisition moves. That's why you cut them all. It's because you listened to our advice. Do you think that cutting multiple starters and borderline star players on your team, look at Matt Moore's year, I'm not joking you, is going to incentivize Shohei to stay. Do you think that that paints an accurate picture of a winning culture? Do you think after your general manager ousted him and his agent for refusing imaging on an injured arm, do you think this is a good turnaround on that to keep him down? <laughs> the, I, I, I said it before I'm going to say it again this is the dumbest move I've ever seen in my life and I'm going to be honest Tom it might be the cherry on top of quite possibly the worst trade deadline in MLB history I know that's been going around but when you think back I genuinely cannot come up with a worst one a, a worse one pardon me it's not even that their moves were bad because in theory they were all right. Oh, now yeah. hold on to that thought because I have Lucas Giolito's Angels numbers pulled up and they're very, very bad. Think Alex Manoa, <laughs> that type of bad. But oh god, yes. In theory, the moves were okay, and recency bias would tell us this is the worst ever. Except it literally is, and here's why. What other team in the history of baseball has given up on their season? so quickly for making these franchise-altering quote-unquote moves at the trade deadline that happened less than 30 days ago. I've seen teams trade at the deadline and utterly flounder right afterwards. Think back to Chris Archer when he was traded to the Pirates because for some reason they thought they were good enough to compete when they in theory traded Austin Meadows and Tyler Glass now to the Tampa Bay Rays. We've seen this before but not nearly to this extent. And all they're doing at this rate is saving face and saving a little bit of money. Maybe this move or series of moves will finally incentivize this front office to prioritize their search for some top prospects and gather a top-tier farm system, something they couldn't ever think about in the past 12 years or so. Ever since Trout made his way to the big leagues, it's been failure after failure after failure. Think Yankees bad, except the Angels are somehow worse. That's what is going on in Anaheim right now. But now, you had the chance to get all those prospects. Those shiny acquisitions you could have gotten if you had traded Shohei Otani. You would have gotten the biggest steal. Of all time, potentially, at the deadline. 
Juan Soto fetched probably, I think it was three or four or five prospects and more. And most of them were top prospects. Any team that wanted Shohei would have thrown you that number plus a few more. Just for the sheer face value of having Shohei Otani in someone's uniform for two months. It is the worst trade deadline in the history because you just floundered the modern-day Babe Ruth's value because no way in hell is he coming back to the Angels now. And if I'm Mike Trout, I am demanding a trade immediately if I care about winning. He will make the money. But if he cares about integrity and wanting to actually win, get the hell out of Anaheim. I know he's got a huge contract, but somebody will take a flyer on that. Somebody will spend the money to at least pay for, say, half the contract. Maybe the Angels have to recoup some of that contract in the value. But I'll tell you right now, they'll get a haul for him. So that might just be a blessing in disguise if they lose their two icons. Two of the greatest players of the 21st century. Hell, you can argue all time. That's what the Angels did. Tony, I'll let you uh, keep talking. Let you divulge on that before I get to Lucas Giolito stats and some other stats of the Angels. You see, what bothers me on top of that, I'm very happy you brought up the potential to trade Shohei. We clowned on him for it before, and it looks even worse now. You hit the nail right on the head. They could have had probably the best return on a deal in MLB history. Like, considering Shohei wouldn't be going back to them anyway and would be bag hunting in the offseason, you could have turned your franchise around in a year. Maybe two. Finally get some good pitching. Finally get some decent enough depth in that lineup that isn't going to miraculously stop hitting the second they get to the West Coast. But no, you just had to get the name brand and lock them in place and oh, get the ticket sales. It's such a mess and what makes it worse is the fact that not only did you pass up Adding to an already pretty okay farm system, I wouldn't call them a good farm system, but they had some intriguing young prospects before the trade deadline. You sacrificed every piece of worth in that farm system for these pieces. For Dominic Leone, for CJ Crone, who's still there for some reason. He's the only acquisition that's still there. If I was him, I'd be pissed. <laughs> for Randall Gritchick, for Ronaldo Lopez, and, of course, Lucas Giolito. You gave up your second and third prospects in the f***ing system for Lucas Giolito. One of them was a pitcher, and now you don't have the pitcher you traded your future pitcher for. I don't get that. You literally not only sacrificed your present, but your short and long-term futures to do it. I. This is... This is lunacy. This is just... I, I don't even know what else to call it. This seems like someone fell asleep at the wheel. Like, you, like, or have your, like, ESPN or Yahoo Fantasy team on your phone, and you fall asleep holding your phone, and you accidentally drop your entire team. That's what this seems like. This makes goddamn franchise mode and road to the show or out-of-the-park baseball seem realistic with how many players he just dropped on waivers. If I'm an Angels fan, Tom, I'm like, I'm seriously considering just jumping ship at this point. Just rooting for a team on the other side of the country, that looks fun. Root for, like, the Braves or the Orioles or the Blue Jays if I'm feeling masochistic. Just no one else on the West Coast, no one else who the Angels have beefed with in the past. Just 
get away from this fandom because the trade deadline wasn't an indication enough that the Angels are going to suck for the next few years. This, this moment right here, this is like, this is the dropping of the atom bomb on the Angels franchise. This is the, this is the day Rome falls for them. They're not coming back from this for a long, long time. Now, please, Tom, I'm assuming uh, you've had time to pull this up. Yes. Tell tell the loving listeners of this podcast what the Angels thought was worth giving up their best catcher in the system, not named Logan Ohapi, and their best pitching prospect in the system. Numbers two and three, I remind you yet again for this guy. Before I get to Lucas Giolito, I just want to point out the Angels record, by the way, for anyone keeping track in the month of August, at the time of this recording, it's August 30th, so there's not really much more to add or take away from it. 7 and 19. Oh my god. <laughs> the run differential is so bad. That first of all that's a 269 win loss. Their run differential. Oh my god. They've scored 95 runs in the month of August, not even 100. They've given up 171. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> can, can I point oh out? Oh my god. Yes. This team was ahead of the Mariners at one point in the standings. <laughs> oh my god. This, uh, this is embarrassing. You know your team is great at the trade deadline or starting in the month of August when you start with uh, four games over 500, you go on a seven-game losing streak, and then you end up 63-70 and 70 <laughs> on the final day of the month. Happy September, by the way, because it's going to actually be released in September now, so whoop-de-doo. Uh, we'll, we'll get to that in a minute, though, uh, right before we get into the swing of things. But now, as promised, I'm going to talk about Lucas Giolito. I've actually got everybody's stats pulled up as well, and I'll breathe, oh, literally breeze through go. them, but Lucas Giolito is, is the case study here. He pitched in six games with the Angels. <laughs> He had a 1-5 record, so that's already a good start. <laughs> he has a 6.89 ERA in 32 and two-thirds innings, a fourth of the innings he had in Chicago. He's given up 25 earned runs in those 32, pretty much 33 innings, half of what he gave up entirely on the rest of the year in Chicago. He's given up 10 home runs in that span. Half of what he gave up in Chicago. (laughs) Walked 15 and struck out 34 for a great ERA plus of 66 and a field independent pitching of 682. Talk about Cy Young worthy stats here, ladies and gentlemen. Everybody listening. His FIP is the same as his ERA. I'm so... I... I... Wow. <laughs> oh, and minus 0.5 I, I, war, because that's important, too. I don't even have anything to add to that. I think I just went into shock. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. I'd also like to point out, Tom, when you were bringing up the Angels' runs scored in August, they yes. also allowed, Lucas Giolito definitely attributed to this, they allowed more runs this month alone than they have any other, sorry, then they've scored any other month individually. <laughs> They're being lapped by their oh, competition this month. God. And Lucas Giolito is a prime reason why. 25 earned runs 
he almost is giving up a run in inning. And they gave up their number two and three guys for him. Uh, God bless the oh Angels. Oh, my God. They need all the help they can possibly get. <laughs> oh, God. Um, Running down the rest of the people that were wavered. Fake Mike Trout, a.k.a. Hunter Renfro. Minus .4 war on the year. Actually a decent slant. Not bad stats. 18 and 52 home run to RBI department. 237, 300, 422 slash OPS plus a 93. And by the way, I'd like to point out, killing it after being waived in the past two days. Especially <laughs> in Philly, where today they chanted, you're on waivers. <laughs> and then he proceeded to immediately hit a game winning single or double or something or rather into center field right in front of all the Philly faithful. So good on you, Philly. Egg him on. The worst thing you could possibly do is egg on somebody who's pissed off and has nothing to lose. That's the worst thing you can ever do in life. Take that advice. That's my best advice I'll probably ever give out on this podcast. Randall Grichik, uh, with his time with the Angels in 27 games. Oh boy, that's not good. Uh, four home runs, eight RBIs, <laughs> 165, 212, 351 slash OPS plus a 48. That's not good. Uh, Reynaldo Lopez... Actually doing very well with the Angels. In 12 games, he's got an ERA of 231, uh, ERA plus of 201. Matt Moore, he's been there all year, and he's been a godsend for them. <laughs> godsend Angels, whatever. 230 ERA and a 198 ERA plus. Good for him. And finally, Dominic Leone, the uh, guy who got waived a day after, or at least it was reported that way. Oh, yeah, the Mets treated him at the... Di- deadline i guess well that didn't work out well he went from a 440 era in new york to a 525 era in 10 games with the angels so those are all the guys that they waived and pretty much all the guys they picked up at the deadline you know what i'm just realizing too i'm going through the angels roster not only did they leave off cj crone from this mass culling of players they also left mike moustakis who was notoriously the best of this bunch Uh, granted Nothing special now. He definitely cooled down. He's got an 81 OPS plus with the team, but it's going to be lost on some folks. Tom, do you know that SpongeBob meme from that one episode where they're making, they're shooting like a movie at the Krusty Krab mm-hmm. and Mr. Krabs kicks them all out? He goes, all right, everyone, get lost, all you. Go on, scram. Everyone's leaving. He points to the last guy and it's a clown. He goes, except you, you stay. <laughs> That's Artie Moreno. And the last guy was Mike Mustafa. <laughs> <laughs> And fitting it's a cloud too. Cause, well, you know. <laughs> I this franchise never ceases to amaze me. I thought I was done being surprised by Artie Moreno and the Angels. Clearly I'm wrong. Uh, Clearly I expected too much of them. In the wise words of Don LaGreca, Clown show! Clown show! <laughs> clown show! Oh my god. <laughs> It's right over me saying it too. (laughs) Uh, You gotta add that to the the circus bed you started this with. Oh, don't worry. I will do that as soon as we're done recording here. Which, by the way, Tony, do you have any more thoughts about the Angels? At this point, we've probably talked about them for 45 minutes in this episode. (laughs) Yeah, no, I'm good. I'm just gonna end up rambling if we keep going. Cool. So then let's move on to, I guess, a preview of what you'll see later on in the episode, because more news has <laughs> dropped that we would love to talk about in depth, but we cannot do that at this very moment. So we'll leave it at this. 
We'll start with the we'll start with the uh, roster moves. The last thing that you'll hear in this episode because we have a few to add to that. First off, Yankee fans such as me and Tony are going to rejoice. Josh Donaldson was released. Hallelujah! Woo! Oh, actually, I think I have music for that. Ode to Joy. Where are you? Come here, you little. F- where are you? There it is. Come here, you little. F- <laughs> That was definitely not biblical. Uh, Tony can't hear it, but Ode to Joy was playing in the background, and I was doing my best to oh, sing to it. Oh, I didn't hear a, a peep, but you know what? I tried clapping to the beat, but it probably sounded like garbage. I, I never think you could clap to the beat. Actually, you probably can. Uh, yeah. Da, 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 da. Yeah, there you go. You got the right idea. Uh, real quickly, in other news, uh, Harrison Bader waived because, uh, the Yankees are bringing up some of their top prospects. Jason Dominguez, the Martian, welcome to New York. Austin Wells, the top catching prospect, one and two in the Yankee system now. He's going to be welcome to New York. They'll both meet the big league team in Houston on Friday facing Justin Verlander, Yankees killer, or maybe the Yankees kill him. Maybe I have it the other way around. God, they're not facing Verlander. You're kidding me. Oh, they sure are. Of course they are. Why, why, why would I expect anything else? I, I just like to point out future Tony, who I guess is technically past Tony. Tony later in this episode is going to moan and groan about the Yankees not calling up Austin Wells and saying that they should. He's actually a prophet. He saw this coming. Uh, at least that's how you're going to see it anyway, because I totally didn't just make a shot in the dark. Uh, but either way, welcome. Dominguez and, and Wells, I hope their careers go exactly as well as every Yankees fan and they have ever dreamed. And Tom, you're missing one key roster move the Yankee made, and this one's probably the most significant. They have cut ties with a franchise legend. This just happened today. I, oh, I don't blame God. you for not seeing it. But <laughs> vaunted Yankees trade acquisition Spencer Howard has been <laughs> released from his, by the way, from his assignment in Triple A, he didn't pitch a goddamn game with the big league team, and we traded assets for him. One acquisition down, one to go. Kenyon Middleton, you're up. Uh. Just you wait till they bring up Trey Sweeney for no reason. <laughs> oh God! In other news, the Mets have all, are also planning on calling up Ronnie Mauricio, their number two or number one prospect. He'll join the team some point this weekend. That's expected, and. The last bit of news, which will be an update to a story that you'll hear later on in the episode. It's a, it's about a shooting. Um, <laughs> not <laughs> this isn't political. I swear, it's just about a I'm shooting, and it it may have to do with <laughs> something laughing. about an accidental dis- discharge about a woman who was grazed by a bullet <laughs> because she snuck it past the metal detectors, hiding it in the folds of her belly fat. I am quoting that from a tweet. That is not my thoughts or my take. That is literally exactly what happened per Peggy Kaczynski from ESPN 1000 in Chicago. Can I point out, can I just have you take a step back and have you hear yourself that you open this up with, this is just a story about accidental discharge from a woman at a White Sox game. Uh, but yeah, no, that's the gist. I really don't have anything to add to it because future Tom and Tony, or I suppose past Tom and Tony, will tell you the full story. But that's that's your preview. That's your trailer for what we're <laughs> going to talk about later. Get ready. Yes, that part was not in the episode, so we are updating that now. 
pre before we talk about the White Sox. That's the details you'll need to know from that. Oh, God. Anything else you want to say, future Tony? Or do you just want to cut it back to past Tony and Tom? I'm totally cool here. We've, I think we just extended the episode by a clean 20, 25 minutes. So oh, we sure did. Let's, yeah, let's throw it back to past Tom and Tony. Thank you for listening to us rambling about the LA Angels for probably way too long. Enjoy the rest of the show. Let's get into our next big sad story, Tom. And it's one we actually touched on briefly a couple weeks ago, but there's a new development with Steven Strasburg. A couple weeks back, we noted that he was shut down for the rest of the season with thoracic outlet syndrome after experiencing what was described as chronic nerve damage. Definitely sounded like something that would be damn near impossible to pitch through later on. And it seems to all now that he's waving the white flag. He does not think he could pitch through it, and he is set to announce his retirement sometime in the near future. He leaves behind a very, very storied legacy with the Washington Nationals, a career national. He will finish his career with a 3-2-4 ERA, 100, excuse me, 1,723 strikeouts in 1,470 innings, a career ERA plus of 127. That means he was 27% better than the average pitcher for his entire career. He had three all-star appearances, one top three Cy Young finish, a silver slugger, which I actually never knew, a World Series MVP, and of course, a World Series ring with the 2019 Miracle Run Nationals. And no doubt, in my mind, he will eventually get a spot in the Nationals Hall of Fame because he is the best pitcher to ever go through that organization. You can argue Scherzer's better, but with how they developed him, raised him, how he was the face of that franchise, bare minimum face of the pitching staff when Harper was there and when Harper was gone, he took that mantle and ran with it. His 2019 season as a whole is probably one of the best complete pitching seasons I saw in my lifetime. He leaves behind a really great legacy, and the ba- the game of baseball will be a- without an amazing pitcher, Tom, going forward. It's honestly, t- the Shohei story hit me. I This one hit me just as hard. Just growing up with Steven Strasburg and seeing his debut as literally a 10-year-old, seeing what he could do on like MLB Network, and then just seeing him blossom from there. It was really something special. He was a one of a kind pitcher, and the game's not going to be the same without him. Absolutely. And he will earn that place in the Nationals Hall of Fame one day, not the Baseball Hall of Fame. He didn't have that storied of a career, unfortunately. But for all the hype they had, absolutely. Did he live up to all that hype? I believe so. The organization he stayed with all 13 years of his career, he won the World Series MVP with them, and he helped guide them to that World Series. Whatever happened after that, no one is going to care about. Oh, I mean, the Nationals will, and I'll get to that in a minute. And people will remember that. And that's kind of the big thing about Steven Strasburg I want to get into. And we've touched on this in the past, but he's one of the biggest what-ifs, Tony. You can make the case that we never really got to see Steven Strasburg to his full potential and full peak. Because early on in his career, in 2011, at the age of 22, I believe that's when he got hurt majorly for the first time, because he only threw in five games that year. I think he needed Tommy John surgery right after that. It was either that or something really significant that put a damper, eventually, on the rest of his career. He only threw in 30 games or more 
three times in the 13 seasons that he played. Only three times. Otherwise, he's in the 20s. Usually the low 20s. He did get 28 starts in 2017. And we all know Steven Strasburg was an amazing pitcher throughout his career. But because of that early onset injury that happened, it lingered with him the rest of his career. He was never at his full peak for year after year after year. We saw what he was able to accomplish in his peak. I mean, God forbid, he had a 250 strikeouts in 2019, the year again the Nats won the World Series. So obviously, we know what he was able to accomplish. He never won the Cy Young. He never could be one of the few pitchers to win an MVP. He's not going to be a Hall of Famer. So we don't get to see that. And we don't even get to see the later stages of his career of what a normal player would be able to do, a.k.a. his 30s onward towards 40, like the Verlander and the Kershaw and the Granke were able to do. We don't get to see those years. We don't get to see him chase history, chase those milestone numbers that could ultimately put him up for debate of, is he a Hall of Famer? So that's the real sad part about Steven Strasburg's career. He did live up to that hype, that number one pick, one of the most hyped prospects of all time, because he certainly helped his organization accomplish everything they set out to do a franchise that was so buried low in the ground in baseball when they drafted him with not a lot of marketability or anything he gave them something and they were able to build a lot of good ran teams off of steven strasburg being an anchor on that rotation in that roster so for that alone steven strasburg obviously had a fantastic career and we wish him nothing but the best but this one's going to linger for the nationals tony The contract was never insured. A.K.A. I was going to mention that. (laughs) The Nationals are going to be on the hook for the rest of the money in full. God bless whoever negotiated that for Steven Strasburg. Because they pulled the heist of a century with that one. And that's what I was kind of trying to imply with the Shohei contract. His upcoming contract. They're not going to insure that. Because of the load he has to do, he's going to want all that money. And somebody's going to fork it over because it's Shohei Otani. If the Nationals did this for Steven Strasburg, obviously they had sentimental reasons to do it. But if Steven Strasburg didn't get insured, of course Shohei's not going to have his contract insured like that. (laughs) He's going to get paid in full. It's not like the Nationals are going to spend their money really on anything because, in my opinion, they're sort of that penny-pinching organization to a degree. I mean, look what they did. They trade their stars really before they could get anything. They signed Max Scherzer. Great. They had a great run. But throughout their history, they're not really known for those big splashes. So they're not going to spend the money anyway. And they're certainly not going to be competing anytime soon. So it's okay. (laughs) It's all good in the hood. But I don't know. That's another strike against Mike Rizzo. but. Apparently, he's doing a great job because he and Davey Martinez got extended. So, obviously, they're doing something right, even if they continue to make wrong decisions. Not Davey Martinez, but more Mike Rizzo. But that's just an (laughs) outlook on the Nationals. I mean, hey, the good news for that is I'm pretty sure, if memory serves, there aren't any deferred payments on this contract. So, we're not going to get a Chris Davis situation. We're not going to get a Bobby Bonilla situation. It'll be year one, year two, year three. Hopefully, they'll be able to pay it in full not defer anything, which, like you said, it's not like they're going to be doing a lot of spending anytime soon. The state the organization's in, they'd be stupid to try and spend 
And I mean, I guess the silver lining at that, even if they somehow pull a miracle run out of their ass in the next year or two, I doubt it, but just in case, there's no salary cap in baseball. Like, I would make a comp to hockey and say that that Strasburg money is going to be dead cap, also known as, you know, money you pay out to a player who isn't playing on your team anymore. But if the Nats owner really wanted to, it would be a non-factor. You could just pay it out and then go for whatever free agent you want. I doubt they're going to be on the hunt for many free agents, but that doesn't matter. Strasburg's contract should only be on the books for the next three years anyway, and hopefully by then, the Nats, uh, the Nats, what did I just say? The Nats will be a reputable organization again. Although I really shouldn't say that, because I don't know if you took a look at the standings recently, Tom. The Nats have a better record than the Padres and the Mets, and if they keep trending in the wrong direction, they're going to top the Yankees soon. So... Maybe the Nationals are doing something right. I don't know. C.J. Abrams and Josiah Gray seem to be breaking in all the right places. They might low-key be a dangerous team down the road. And by God, you know for a fact when they're good again, they're going to have a Steven Strasburg night where they retire his number and put a nice big plaque of him somewhere in the stadium. Hell, he might get a statue, honestly, for that World Series run. He's going to make a nice big speech and it'll be a really really wholesome night. I really hope the Nationals are good by then so they could pay tribute to their best pitcher in franchise history with a celebration. And by franchise history, not counting the Expos. I I love Strasburg, <laughs> but he's not better than Pedro Martinez. We're talking strictly the Washington Nationals existence. And in that regard, Strasburg is far and away the best pitcher this team has developed. It's, it's not even a little bit close. That all being said, we wish the best to Strasburg in his retirement, the best to Shohei in his recovery, and looming massive bag of cash arriving at his door. Tom, with these somber stories out of the way, I think, I think it is high time for a good laugh. And when I want a good laugh in Major League Baseball, if I'm not looking for the Yankees because they give me like a deranged Joker laugh, and it's not the Angels because we've already overturned that, why don't we go to the South Side and see what the Chicago White Sox are up to? Because <laughs> as one Twitter user put it, I'm pretty sure it's in our chat somewhere. I'm going to look for it. They had quite the week, if memory serves. They had a week for the ages, and it is bookended and defined by the firing of longtime executives, President of Baseball Operations Kenny Williams, and GM Rick Hahn. They are finally gone, White Sox fans. Breathe a sigh of relief. It's only about three years too late. Three it's, years too late. I Yeah, it's probably way more than that. But <laughs> it, let's be fair. You and I are both fans of a team that employs a man who should have been fired many, many years ago. And the White Sox actually have shades of that. Because in case you guys didn't know, Ken Williams has been with the club since 1992. <laughs> wow, isn't that a coincidence? Guys, executives who are well past their expiration date perish the thought. He started with the team's scouting department, eventually worked his way up to operations and into the role he is in right now. He actually ceded power of GM to Rick Hahn upon his ascension to president of baseball ops. And together in Chicago, they made magic in the front office, Tom. Let me tell you what, they made some of the best, smartest moves I've ever seen in my baseball watching life. I see you snickering right now. Um, <laughs> I sure am. So <laughs> let, let, let's go through some of their hits, shall we? Uh, oh, do you sure. remember the Fernand you remember the Fernando Tatis Jr. trade? For those who didn't know, 
Fernando Tatis was not signed internationally by the Padres. He was actually acquired by them in one of the most ludicrously bad trades I've ever seen in my life. He was traded to the Padres straight up by the White Sox in exchange for known Bartolo Colon home run giver-upper James Shields. <laughs> and if memory serves, he was decent with the White Sox. He wasn't like a bad pitcher. This wasn't like a Chris Archer situation. But you gave up Fernando Tatis Jr. <laughs> Your shortstop for years was Tim Anderson when you could have had Shohei there with him. I Granted, Tim Anderson was good at the time, but... I can't believe they threw that away. And apparently, if memory serves, I couldn't dig up anything about this, Tom. But did you hear anything about they could have had, they could have signed Juan Soto internationally too? I remember very, very vaguely seeing that somewhere. Maybe that was just a rumor. I have no idea if that's true, but if it is, then, oh dear God, this makes it even better. <laughs> I will say it wasn't straight up. The great Eric Johnson was traded with Fernando Tatis Jr. to oh. the Padres. Noted legend of the game. Yes, they gave up more. And do you want to know James Shields' numbers with the Chicago White Sox? Because you said they weren't half bad, but I'm going to beg to differ because I have the numbers to prove it. Oh, God, were they bad? I might be thinking of someone different. Please go. He had three years, technically two and a half, with the organization. 16 and 35 record. A 531 ERA. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it, it 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 it's not good. Uh, let's see. With the White Sox, he walked 186 batters. He struck out 335, so he pretty much had a two-for-one walk-to-strikeout ratio, which is not good if you're keeping track at home. He gave up 92 home runs in three years. That's not good. Wow. A fielding independent pitching, FIP, of 577 over the course of three years. For the record, because I clarified this with Tony because I was gawking at Alc Manoa's numbers earlier before the show, the lower the FIP, the better you are. If it's high, it's not good. It's a 5.77. Think of it as almost another version of an ERA. By the way, his ERA plus was 79, so you know it's really not good. So that's James Shields' numbers with the Chicago White Sox fantastic stuff ace worthy if i may tony it only continues to make rick Hahn and kenny williams look fantastic do you want to go over some of the other highlights tony oh i would love to let's you know let's rapid fire some of these some of these greatest hits because we got a couple recent ones like the craig kimbrell trade Mm -hmm. i to be fair this one's kind of a lose-lose situation. The Cubs didn't exactly walk out like bandits in this one like we all thought they would. But the thought still in principle baffles me. The White Sox gave up one of their best-hitting prospects in Nick Madrigal and a decent reliever in Cody Hoyer for Craig Kimbrell, who proceeded to absolutely <laughs> the bet as a Chicago White Sox. That one you don't need to fact-check me on. I remember he was terrible. And granted, Cody Hoyer can't crack a roster, and Nick Madrigal is a depth piece at best. So again, lose-lose situation, but the White Sox, by God, did they overpay for a a reliever who would end up leaving. Come to think of it, with that mindset, I could have put the Joe Kelly signing on here, too. Oh, boy. No, everyone in White Sox land loves him. Uh, Speaking of people in White Sox land who people love, the Andrew Benintendi contract that looks horrible right now. Can't defend worth a damn, has like three home runs and a okay batting average that would have been okay for like a leadoff hitter for the Yankees in 1980 and nobody else. 
Cool. Awesome. Great job, guys. Here's my personal favorite. Tom, you remember when they threw money at Dallas Keuchel after not <laughs> offering Carlos Rodon a qualifying offer? Oh, God. I remember it like it was you know yesterday. I believe we talked about this the first time in our first Diamond Duo After Dark. This is like episode 30-something. <laughs> because I think you made the joke of Dallas Keuchel was f***ing over the hopes of White Sox fans. And that fit perfectly with the evening that we were having that day. But please go on, because that was a terrible, terrible signing. And by the way, I'm pretty sure he signed with some other organization and is actually doing halfway decent now. So it, it just comes back to bite. Mm. I mean, a bit more than the White Sox in the ass, but it's just not a good signing. You want to know what makes it even funnier? You know that team he signed with? Oh, it's the Twins. <laughs> yep, they're division rival. <laughs> so literally nothing goes right for them. And you want to know how this went worse? That guy that they didn't give a qualifying offer to, you know, that guy, you may have heard of him, Carlos Rodon, yeah, former first-round pick of the team, Yankees legend, he has one win with us now, I don't care, that contract is so worth it. That guy, Carlos Rodon, in his one year with the Giants, you know, he went there after the White Sox didn't give him an offer, casually just crapped out one of the best seasons of his career, a 137 ERA+, plus, a 6th place finish in Cy Young voting, he was an all-star, and led all of baseball in strikeouts per 9 and FIP. So yeah, that's a really, really good guy they lost out on. Let's take a look at the guy they actually did get in his place. Alright, let's see, 2021 Chicago White Sox, Dallas Keiko, oh, yeah, there he is. There's the man himself. <laughs> a 5.28 ERA. That's good for an 83 ERA plus. Let's see. Uh, uh, oh, look at that. He actually pitched with them into 2022 and was even worse. A 51 ERA plus. <laughs> oh my God, you guys are terrible. And then last, but most certainly not least, this one wasn't as bad to start, but by God, does it look like an albatross now. Yasmani Grandal, the guy who, by most reporters' accounts, the White Sox would have given away for nothing at the deadline, which made me absolutely terrified the Yankees would overpay for him, but I'm very thankful they overpaid for a different White Sox player instead. Although, respect to Kenyon Middleton, he's actually been pretty good. He had... Grandal had two good years with the White Sox, and one of them's got an asterisk because it's the COVID season. He had one really good full season, and you know what? That one has an asterisk too. He was hurt. He only played 93 games. <laughs> God damn it. Can you guys let's, do anything right? Let, let's also throw the asterisks out there of they only signed Yasmani Grandal, really because one, they needed a catcher, but two, they wanted to recruit Manny Machado and failed. Oh, right. Wait, no, was that him, or was that, uh, what's the other guy? Uh, not Garcia. Like, it's like his brother-in-law or something, but I know what you mean. They tried recruiting Manny Machado, and it failed miserably. They lowballed yes. him so far. Not good. No bueno, as they say in Spanish. Also, Nator, you didn't, oh, actually, it's right here. A garbage farm system with developed rivaling the Yankees in ineptitude. I was literally about to say they literally got so many... Oh, I've got another one for you in a second. I, I guess this kind of fits into the farm system. They've developed so much talent that's been so injury-prone, such as Eloy Jimenez or Luis Robert, or God forbid the name I'm going to mention right now. Not really injury-prone, but just terrible. Yoan Moncada. Ah! 
Yoan Moncada, the Chris Sale deal. Oh my God. Ooh. It sends shivers down the spine of White Sox fans everywhere. I'm going to actually pull up the full details of that. But I can tell you, Yoan Moncada certainly did not live up to the number one prospect type that he once had <sighs> with the organization. And by the way, I don't think he wrote this trade, down. By the way. Uh, yeah. Uh, and we'll probably talk about this uh, when we talk about Tony La Russa. The clubhouse culture <laughs> is zero. It's in the negatives. So these are all the things that Kenny Williams and Rick Hahn have produced for them. So let's go through the trade. Chris Sale went to the Red Sox. I mean, again, didn't work out well for them, but still. Uh, Victor Diaz, a minor leaguer, so no one knows who he is. Excuse me? I was saying he got a ring. That's at least, that makes it worth it for them, bare minimum. That's very true. If you win a ring, all of your problems go away. I will say that. It went away when David Price won a ring with them. It'll go away. It does well. That's how I defend. That's how I defend the Patrick Corbin contract. I'm sorry, I keep interrupting. Please continue. It's okay. Luis Alexander Basabe, or I, I don't know how to. <laughs> yeah, I, there's no pronunciation on baseball reference. There's no Who way in hell I'm going to get that right. <laughs> and then it was Yoan Moncada, and also Michael Kopech was in that deal too. Believe it or not, I completely forgot about that wow. one. Me too. <laughs> Not that that's really worked out too much better because he's got a 4.95 ERA. Holy f***, he's walked 80 batters this year. Jesus Christ, that's not good, Michael. Oh, like no, that. he's bad. Yeah, he's just as injury-prone as Chris Sale is. And Yoan Moncada, for anybody keeping tally at home, how is he doing this year and how is he doing on his career? Career war of 13.1 war this year, negative 0.3. Not good. Not good at all. And Yoan Moncada, by the way, he's 28 years old now. And he's not looking like he'll have a bright future at all but thank you for the trombone signing tony but just remember <laughs> this ladies and gentlemen rick hahn the gm i'm gonna point my focus out one one more time before we get uh on with the rest of the white Sox chatter i'm reading his wikipedia page right now and i'm gonna assume these are true oh, 2011 no. sports illustrated ranked hahn as the number one gm candidate in major league baseball <sighs> baseball america in 2010 Ranked Han the number one GM prospect in baseball. In 2012, in October, he got promoted. Or he was hired, rather, from assistant G- oh, No, he got promoted. Assistant GM to general manager, like Tony said. Following the 2020 season, White Sox made their first postseason appearance since 2008. Again, he was hired in 2012. Han won <laughs> executive of the year from Sporting News. Han's tenure... The White Sox had seven losing seasons before they made the postseason and back-to-back seasons for the first time in the franchise's 121-year history when they won the 2021 AL Central Division crown. And now, he got fired on August 22nd of 2023. Two playoff appearances, and they were both miserable. Failed signings, failed promise, and, by the way, as he once mentioned, no parade in terms of <laughs> feeling like we've accomplished something or being satisfied ask me after the parade ask me after the that? parade that was rick Hahn. if i'm when satisfied. did he say when did he say that i, I am trying never to find this. that out oh i'm trying to find out uh dude God. if you've never won anything before you can't say like that come on <laughs> John the Middle- baseball gods to smite you. John Middleton did the same thing when they signed Bryce Harper. He was going to spend stupid money and try and get the ring back. At least he made a World Series. I'll give him that. He came within <laughs> walking steps of a ring. 
Oh, and hey, God, you know what? I, Bryce I Harper did boy. help. He said he's going to bring a title back to DC. <laughs> he did do that. <laughs> he called the shot. <laughs> oh, God. But Tony, I'll, I'm going to try and figure out when that Recon quote was. I'm pretty sure it was like in 2020 or 2019, somewhere like that. But please go on and talk about more of the White Sox atrocities. I absolutely will, because if you thought the White Sox week from hell was done, oh boy, do I have news for you. They proceeded to, as if, because I'd like to give you all a lesson in White Soxology. There's a certain law, you know Murphy's Law, whatever can go wrong will go wrong. I like to call this the White Sox Law. For every one step forward, you must take three steps back. This also applies to a lot of other teams. See also the Yankees and Angels, but... The White Sox, two days later, <laughs> hired everybody's favorite manager, Tony LaRussa, to be a consultant. Now, to be fair, a consultant probably is just a fancy title, a fancy way of saying, hey, he gets paid to sit on his ass and occasionally field phone calls from the team about random extraneous crap. I, I don't know, it's an excuse to give him a paycheck for, as a thank you, for decades of service to the team. But also, why? If that's actually why, if it's for tenure and he's really not doing anything to affect the team, then okay, cool. But you just fired this guy. You just got him away from the team because he was out of touch, maligned by fans, and drove the team into the ground. Not single-handedly, obviously. That was a team effort orchestrated by the two men who just got fired by the team. But why would you put your fans through this? Why would you rehire the guy they were chanting in the stadium to fire? I know it's not for the same job. Granted, no credit to Pedro Greifall. He has not done shit to turn this team around. But this organization is just hilarious. And what makes it even more hilarious is the big man at the top, Jerry Reinsdorf, the one who's responsible for all the madness, all the chaos and the lunacy, has fielded the potential option to relocate the team elsewhere in Chicago. He didn't specifically say, oh, I want to move the team. If memory serves, Tom, I'm looking for the tweet right now. I can't find it. Oh, here it is. Jerry Reinsdorf, this is via Sox on 35th on Twitter. Jerry Reinsdorf is reportedly considering the future of the White Sox, a new stadium, selling the team, or even relocation could be on the table he specifically mentioned relocation for what it's worth i'll give him this he didn't say relocation to vegas or anything like that he said elsewhere in chicago i'm pretty sure anyway of those things that i just listed selling the team would probably send white Sox fans into an elated frenzy and i would not blame them if they started just backflipping in their office spaces because that is that's probably going to fix so many of the problems with the White Sox right now. Like, just imagine what the Mets experienced when the Wilpons were forcibly removed. Yeah, you take Jerry uh, Jerry Reinsdorf out of the White Sox, stuff's going to start to get better damn near instantly. Obviously, it depends on who you plug in to replace him, but you cross that bridge when you get to it. If you thought that was it for the White Sox week from hell, Tom, I'm going to throw it to you. If you found that uh, when that clip was from, by all means, bring that up. But we got one more bullet point in this segment. Why don't you talk about how this week from hell ended? Because, by the way, I should point out, the team also gave up five home runs to the Oakland A's and lost to them on Thursday. Oh, dear God. Tom, why don't you tell the lovely listeners what happened on Friday? I will, but first, 
I need to backtrack on what I was saying. Not really backtrack, I'm just going to give more facts about the situation. Okay. I found an MLB.com article from Scott Merkin, January 23rd, 2020, entitled GM Shy Sox GM Satisfied? Ask me after the parade. So this was in the 2020 offseason, before COVID and all that happened. I'm reading the article, and apparently Han's demeanor and outlook on the future and all that began at the 2016 winter meetings when they were trading Chris Sale, that he was talking about championships. Not one, but two or more. Hmm. He was thinking that. Multiple championships. Quite candidly, we haven't accomplished anything yet. We haven't won yet. This whole process was about winning championships. was about finishing with a parade at the end of October down Michigan Avenue. That is a quote Rick Hahn had at one point in time. More of that. Until that happens, I don't think any of us are really in a position to feel satisfied or feel like we've accomplished anything. We've had a nice winter. We've had, frankly, in our opinion, a real nice three years since we started with the Chris Sale trade. We think very bright days are ahead of us, and we look forward to enjoying them. The quote ended and then went on to say in the article, the offseason featured the addition of Yasmani Grandal, Dallas Keuchel, Gio Gonzalez, Steve Ciszek, Edwin Encarnacion, an extension of Jose Abreu because he was a free agent, extending Luis Robert, and what's this? Oh yeah, acquiring Nomar Mazzara from the Texas Rangers, the once top prospect. <laughs> what an offseason by the White Sox, indeed. Now I'm not going to be one to, to completely throw shade at it because I was hiring the White Sox at that time too. I thought they had a World Series run potentially and them at least to qualify for it. Looking back, oh my god, that is not the greatest of offseason. I'm going to tell you that right now. Now, Tony, I'll let you talk about that if you want to in a minute. I will continue on with what you were saying. Yeah, there was a shooting inside the White Sox game. Two people were injured. One was hospitalized. Uh, The game finished, but there was a post-game Vanilla Ice concert that had to be canceled because of said shooting incident. Now, I don't know how the hell a gun got into the Chicago White Sox Stadium guaranteed rate field. Like, we've heard of stuff happening outside of ballparks before. I remember that was a very big issue last year with the Nationals. There was a shooting right outside their ballpark. But um, apparently people were hit by gunfire during the game. It led to the evacuation of people present at the scene. There was blood reported in the stands. There was an investigation going on. I'm assuming everybody's fine in the end of it. I'm not seeing anybody was killed, thankfully. Thank God. People were hurt, obviously, but how in the hell, and I'm speaking seriously, I'm not even joking about this, does a gun, of all things, get into the stadium with all of the security measures we have nowadays? How? I've never been to a White Sox game, so I haven't seen if they have metal detectors and security and screening and all that, but there have had to have been an immense lapse in judgment or total lack of protocol for a gun to get into a stadium god forbid that was a different person with different intentions that's the scary thing it might have been smuggled in i don't know if a security guard brought it in and somebody stole it we don't know what the situation is but either way it's not a laughing matter apologies again for joking about it earlier in the episode but that could have ended terribly worse god forbid but thankfully it's just injuries that we can see and nothing more than that but 
in terms of the White Sox in a whole as a week. That's how they capped off the week. And the week wasn't much better before that because of reasons you said, like Tony LaRusa being brought in as a consultant, erasing all of the forward progress, the 10 steps of it that you made, you just took 50 steps back. I don't even know if they made 10 steps of progress. They may have made two feet of progress, maybe two steps, and they just took another 50 back. It's not like Tony LaRusa is going to do anything. Jerry Reinsdorf's going to say, I need your help. Consult me on the White Sox. They're losing. Thanks, Tony. That's probably all that's going to be said, because what else is Tony LaRusa going to say? He's like 90 <laughs> years old at drinking. this rate. What does he have to contribute to the conversation? To be honest, <laughs> that he couldn't contribute to the team when he was the manager. And then the relocation thing. Main things I'm seeing is there's different locations in Chicago that they're looking at. They're looking to get out of the south side. The stadium doesn't have the greatest reputation, and it probably is going to need renovations at some point. So maybe they'll go the route of taking the Soldier Field lot when the Bears inevitably move out of there. Maybe they'll go somewhere else in Chicago. Maybe they'll be just outside of Chicago. Either way, they're probably going to stay in the area. That's the inkling we've got now, unless, God forbid, they're the team that settles in Nashville or somewhere else. But somebody's going to settle in Nashville one way or another. I think that's pretty obvious at this rate. So yeah, that's the White Sox uh, events. It all started with a Rick Hahn. We're going to go for a parade. And then years later, it came back to bite the White Sox in the ass. All in one week. God, that is honestly really depressing. As much as we laugh at them, this team is going to be in hell for a good long while. They did some good things for their farm system at the trade deadline, which if you're interested in that, go back and listen to our trade deadline extravaganza. But by God, like, it's still so frustrating because when you look and you see guys like Luis Robert on the team, you see Eloy Jimenez, you see Dylan Cease, you really think, oh man, how did they not win more? It was... Just that disgusting combination of bad luck, bad timing, bad behavior, and bad management. And it really does go back up to Kenny Williams and Rick Hahn. I'm very glad for White Sox fans' sake that they're gone. Jerry needs to go too, even though that's never going to happen. I don't think I know another team that can fire their longtime maligned GM and president and still come out of the week in a net negative because of the rehiring of a disgraced manager and a shooting... <laughs> In the stadium. Like, like to your point, Tom, they have to have metal detectors, right? It's a big city. It's Chicago. You need to have metal detectors there. It's a big metropolitan city. Yankee Stadium's got them. City Field, I'm pretty sure, has them. I don't know. It's, it's a mess, but you're right. White Sox week from hell is over. Hopefully weeks from heaven are in the cards down the line, but I'm not holding my breath. And lastly, for this... Here edition of the Diamond Duo podcast, we're going to do a click, uh, a click, great intro, Tony, great segue. <laughs> yeah, do where are we clicking on, rundown. Tony? I'm going to click on this little injury report I've got here in the rundown because we haven't recorded in about two weeks. We missed a lot of injuries, a lot of DFAs, a lot of call-ups, and I tried to gather as many of them as I could find onto this little sheet I've got here. So I'm going to run through the first half and I'm going to throw it to Tom and he'll run you through the second half. So, the first and probably most significant injury on this list comes from the LA Dodgers, because Tony Gonsolin, fresh off a breakout season last year, and smack dab in the middle of a nightmare season in this one, has it ending in tragedy. He's going under Tommy John surgery on September the 1st, and by the time this episode goes up, he'll probably be just about to go in the OR. So, Tony, we wish you the best of luck in that operation. Hopefully he can come back stronger than ever, and find his form from last year again. Interesting note about this injury, though, to bring a hair of levity to this situation. Um, Tony Gonson's last start of the season came at home against the Marlins, where they clobbered him. They absolutely torched him. 
for 10 runs, all of them earned. Shout out Jorge Soler on my fantasy team, taking him deep twice. Not a good outing for Tony, but an even worse outing for all Dodger fans out there. And it just so happened that, you remember the beginning of the episode when I foreshadowed that Tom and I got together sometime recently just to hang out? Well, we got together at our buddy's house, and our buddy, Nicolette, was so gracious to host. Thank you again, Nicolette, if you're listening. And thank you again for giving us a damn good showing of sheer rage whenever Tony Gonsolin gave up a run, because it was very often, and it was very bunched together, because it was all in the first three innings. <laughs> Every time like, we were in the middle of conversation, her phone would be down on the table. She'd like hear it vibrate or see it light up. She'd pick it up. I wouldn't even have to look at the score. I just see like like the murder in her face, and then put the phone down in a puff <laughs> of rage. It was very entertaining. If there's any levity to bring to this situation. That is absolutely it. Oh my goodness! But <laughs> moving right down the list. We got another story from the Angels. Hey, did you guys know that Mike Trout's back? He's going to play in his first game today, and he's gone. They took Mike Trout off the injured list for one game. He went one for four in that game, and then they promptly put him back on the injured list. I'm pretty sure, correct me if I'm wrong, Tom, but I think it was for the exact same injury. I think it was some sort of inflammation or something like that, or he just said something didn't feel right. Either way, it sounds like mm -hmm. they just brought him back a little bit too soon, or... He said it was fine, and he re-aggravated something. Yeah, I'm willing to bet. And I'm not trying to, like, throw shade at the Angels on this one. I'm not trying to conjure up a conspiracy that they made Mike Trout play injured. I'll save those for the Yankees and Anthony Rizzo. But I, like I said earlier, this team is cursed. Just not a shred of luck whatsoever. Maybe when these demons get exercised, they'll go somewhere. But, yep, Mike Trout is on IL, quite possibly for the foreseeable future. And that's something I wanted to bring up before we even got into this, but I just reminded myself. A bunch of these injuries are most likely season-ending. Tony Gonsolin is most obviously season-ending. It's Tommy John. Mike Trout, it's very unlikely he'll come back, at least anytime soon. And this next one could be a very, very big blow if it does end up being season-long. Felix Bautista. All-star closer for the Baltimore Orioles, quite possibly the best closer in baseball this year, is out. He just landed on the 15-day IL with, and I quote, some degree of a UCL strain. We don't know how severe it is yet. That information's not been revealed to us. He's just been thrown on IL as a very, very staunch precaution. God forbid that's a tear. The Orioles are screwed going down the stretch. They still have good bullpen depth. And that move for Shintaro Fujinami is looking even better now, because not only has he been good, he's going to be relied on more with Bautista gone. That'll shift Yenie Kano into the closer role, and guys like Jacob Webb will need to pick up the slack. So hopefully Felix will end up okay. You Darvish just landed on the IL today with right elbow inflammation. He has not been himself all year. This IL stint honestly makes a lot of sense. I I don't want to say I was hoping he was hurt, but considering how badly he was pitching, I kind of hoped there would be a reason for it, and he's not just aging 10 years before our very eyes. Which, by the way, another amazing signing by A.J. Preller. Trust me, we are going to give San Diego Padres a thrashing that they deserve, probably in the next episode. <laughs> but we'll see when I make that rundown. Uh, but let's just say Preller might get the Rakan brian Cashman treatment after this season. But nevertheless, you Darvish is on IL. We'll see if he's coming back this year. Uh, the guy I'm going to end with, and Tom, feel free to pick up with thoughts on this guy if you want. Speaking of out for the year, <laughs> this oh, one's not God. an injury. Not an injury, but uh, so we recorded last time 
we began the episode with Wander Franco doing allegedly doing some very disgusting things. Listen to that episode if you want to hear exactly what. Well, more allegations are coming in, and an ongoing investigation is now taking place, and it's looking more and more likely that it did happen. So, uh, yeah, the team put him on administrative leave. He is not traveling with the team, and he is very likely done for the season. And if more comes up, he's done for good. And if he ends up being guilty, good. Go the f*** to jail. Yes. So, that all happened, and now we've got more stuff. That has happened. I'm actually going to pull up a separate tab on baseball reference because I am going to talk about one particular person who was DFA'd. By the way, this is now going to pretty much be the DFA section of the uh, transaction wire, I guess we can call it. Injury list, transaction wire, what have you. But I was looking up, I was doing some research while Tony was talking about somebody who we're going to talk about. And his numbers are so staggeringly bad that I have to open a separate page just so that way I can keep my thoughts intact because I have multiple things to say about that person. First is that Noah Syndergaard was released by the Cleveland Guardians a month after being traded to them. To be fair, he was doing better than when he was with the Dodgers. That doesn't mean he was doing really any much better, though, because he had a 716 ERA with the Dodgers in 12 games. <laughs> Funnily enough, actually, with Cleveland, I'm looking, he had a 540 ERA in his six games with Cleveland. He somehow walked more batters with Cleveland than he did with the Dodgers. He walked what? nine batters with the Dodgers. He's walked 10 with Cleveland <laughs> in the 33 <laughs> innings that he's pitched with Cleveland or had pitched with Cleveland. Oh he God. pitched 55 innings with the Dodgers this year for a yearly total of a 2-6 and six record, a 650 ERA, 56 strikeouts, 19 walks, and 22 Home runs given up for an ERA plus of 66, a fielding independent pitching of 621. The Guardians did him a favor. Thor, no more. He was a Thor spot in their rotation, a Thor spot on their roster. <laughs> Tony just now got what I was trying to say as a joke. You put the f you with the cricket, cricket chirping. The cricket. Uh, shut the f up. <sighs> That's the wrong one. Yeah, you keep playing the wrong sound effects that aren't being recorded anywhere. We're going to have this issue like yeah, we did a few exactly. episodes again. Yeah, thanks for the duck quack. Anyway, I'm moving on because Noah Syndergaard makes me sad. Jerks and Profar really doesn't make me sad at all, but he was DFA'd by the Rockies, so yeah. Uh -huh. Remember when he was a top prospect? Wait a minute. Jerks and Profar. My no, I'm thinking of no more Mazzara with the White Sox. I'm thinking of the same person because I think they were both in the same organization at some point. But Jerks and Profar, yeah, he didn't fare out much better at all. Jerks and Profar this year, a, actually not that bad of a year, to be honest. He's probably been terrible as of late, but I don't have the stats and splits to really prove that. Eight home runs, 39 RBIs, a 236, 316, 364 year OPS plus of 76. Not really a good year, but when you're in Colorado and you're not hitting very well, and you post a negative 1.6 war on the year, yeah, that's not good. Yes, negative 1.6. Not 0.6, negative 1.6. <laughs> Yikes. Last year, he had a great Jesus. year with the Padres, if you remember. He was kind of that filling guy, even though he played in 152 games. He did well, couldn't do better somehow with the Rockies. That's just sad. What's even more sad, though is Paul DeYoung being cut by the Blue Jays to be picked up by the San Francisco Giants. But the reason the Blue Jays picked him up in the first place 
was because Bo Bichette got hurt, and they kind of <laughs> just needed a guy to fill in the gap while Bo Bichette got hurt. Well, Bo Bichette returned, Paul DeYoung left, and now Bo Bichette's hurt once again. So the Blue Jays are probably scrapping to figure out what the hell they're even going to do at shortstop. <laughs> My guess is maybe they'll move Whitfield, Whit Merrifield over. They'll have somebody else Whitfield. that can play there. But I know they don't have Matt Chapman on the field either right now because he's on the IL. So they're the, down their left side of the infield currently at the moment. So Bo Bichette, that injury is bad <laughs> enough. Paul DeYoung, though, he was the player I was referencing, by the way. Because if you didn't know, he's having a terrible year. And I'm going to point out just how terrible. For those who don't know, he's drawn 21 walks this year. He never drew a walk with the Blue Jays. And he hasn't drawn a walk with the Giants as of yet. At least Baseball Reference doesn't have one. If he drew a walk tonight, God bless him. (laughs) He last drew a walk as a member of the St. Louis Cardinals. Back on July 24th, he has not walked in over a month of baseball. What? He's not drawn a walk in over a month of baseball. I didn't think it would be that bad. (laughs) But that's just an inkling of what you're getting with Paul DeYoung. Because he has played 17 games combined with the Giants and the Blue Jays. He has six hits combined. And three of them are with the Giants, which he's played four games for. As of baseball reference at this very moment that I am speaking at the brink, actually just past midnight of August 29th, his Toronto numbers, he had 44 at-bats, he had three hits, a .68, no, a .068 batting average, he struck out 18 times in those 44 at-bats. That's worse than Joey Gallo, my man. Worse than Joey effing Gallo. <laughs> he got three bases in 13 games. <laughs> he, he drew one run. He got one RBI. And his OPS plus was negative 62 with the Blue Jays. <laughs> oh my god. No wonder they caught him. Even if they did need a replacement, I understand why they might want to have a shortstop shortage in Toronto. Because, Jesus, that's terrible. And again, in four games with the Giants, he has 17 at-bats. He's got three hits with them. So he's already doing much better with the Giants with a whopping 41 OPS+. plus. That already makes him infinitely better with his 176 batting average with the Giants. By the way, six strikeouts and 17 at-bats, so he's on a terrible streak again. Hasn't walked in over a month, by the way. I just wanted to point that out because I dug deep into this. And I could go on baseball reference rabbit holes for (laughs) days upon days without stopping. And that was one of them that I thoroughly enjoyed. So thank you, Paul DeYoung, for your suffering. I guess it brightened up this section of the podcast. I don't know. That was mean. So You remember when he finished? No, go go on. What were you going to say? I was just going to say, you remember when he finished second in Rookie of the Year voting to Bellinger? <laughs> remember when St. Louis thought he was like going to be a cornerstone for them? <laughs> yeah, remember when he was an All-Star in 2019 and he hit 30 home runs? He hit 30 home runs? Yes. Boy, the him mighty had fallen. Him and Hunter Dozier are the mayors of Juiced Ball City. The Juiced Ball <laughs> merchants. Since hitting 30 home runs, he's hit 42 over the course of four years. <sighs> well, oh, that's depressing. Yeah, it's very depressing. What's not so depressing is people getting called up to the major leagues. And I will let yes. Tony do this section after I mention 
the Yankees called up Everson Pereira and Oswald Peraza. It's about damn time they called up some youth. <laughs> too little, too late, but at least they're doing it. They're letting the kids play every day, and they proved it by benching Everson Pereira five games into his MLB career tonight. <sighs> <laughs> See, I really want to emphasize too little because I think they didn't call up enough. I know I'm going to sound like a spoiled bitch Yankee fan, but why would you stop at those two and not just bring up Austin Wells? <sighs> God damn it, the guy's 24. You're going to have him make his Major League debut at 25 as a catcher? I don't know. Maybe he's not ready. Maybe he's still adapting to first base. At last I heard that's what was happening. Boone said they're, you know, trying to work him at first. Because catching, I guess, isn't working well. Yeah, because we definitely need a replacement for first base and not a replacement for Kyle Higashioka. (laughs) Whatever. Uh, He's not getting called up till next year anyway. No, he won't. He should be on the team at some point next year. If he's not on the team next year, unless he gets hurt, then there's something seriously going on the Yankees and their development. Now, Tony, I'm going to let you take care of the next three guys, mainly because I can't pronounce the name of the Red Sox person that they called up their top prospect. So I'm going to let you uh, try and pronounce this. I will be would be glad to. I know this guy, not personally, but I know of him. Uh, that'd be cool, though. The Red Sox, actually, I think it was either yesterday or today, Tom, it was very recently, they called up their speedy outfield prospect, Sedane Raffaella. That is the Italian way, I believe you pronounce it, but I don't know how else you'd pronounce C-E-D-D-A-N-N-E. Sedane just sounds right, and Raffaella speaks for itself, but no. Really toolsy player, disgustingly fast, and is an amazing fielder. Not much in the way of pop, but you know what, he'll offer some depth to that Red Sox outfield that could definitely need it right now with guys like Jaron Duran on the shelf. Orioles called back up lefty pitcher D.L. Hall, for the longest time was always the Second best pitcher in the org to Grayson Rodriguez. Now that he's graduated, they're hoping DL could give them some respite when it comes to pitching depth, especially out of the bullpen if Felix Bautista's out long term. The rotation's pretty much set. I imagine they'll call him out of the bullpen more oftentimes than not. And last but certainly not least, this individual did not get called up to the majors, but I still thought it was a nice fun story to end the episode on. Top 10 prospect and Texas Rangers number one overall prospect, Evan Carter, was called up to AAA today. Today also happens to be his birthday. Ah. Now, uh, granted, when I say today, I meant it's yesterday now, the 28th. It's the 29th now. <laughs> but happy belated birthday, Evan Carter. I'm glad you probably got the best birthday gift a kid in AA could ask for. I believe he's 21 years old, which makes me feel old as sh- but not somehow not as old as when I found out Strasburg was retiring. That, that I think, aged me a good 15 years. But nevertheless, congrats, Evan Carter. That's got to be an awesome achievement. Hopefully you kill it in AAA just as much as you killed in AA. Who knows? Maybe he'll be a September call-up next year. He keeps killing it like this. I don't see why not. But, yeah, those are all the big call-ups from the past week or so. Oh, actually, wait. One I didn't put in the rundown. Angels first baseman, Nolan... Shnewel. Is that how you say it? Do you know? I couldn't pronounce the Red Sox prospect. You think I'm going to know how to pronounce that last name? I know who you're talking about, though. He's the guy who was in the minors for literally six weeks, drafted six weeks ago, and the Angels decided... I just hit my microphone when I was trying to do some, like, sweeping motion. Yeah, that's enough time, kid. Get to the majors, and he's actually doing pretty well. We need to get Shohei to the playoffs now. All hands on deck. God, like I said this in our group chat. If they ruin this kid's development because of a vain effort to make the playoffs, 
I am going to be so mad, but I shouldn't be surprised at this team at this point. Anyway, congrats to all the young guns. Promoted to the majors, promoted to AAA. Hopefully your careers are as bright as you've always dreamed them to be. And with that being said, it's just about time to put a bow on this here episode. Episode 72 of the Diamond Duo podcast. Not exactly as Sad Boy Hour-esque as I imagined it being, Tom. I kind of imagined it would be, you know, harping on Shohei and Strasburg. But honestly, I think the White Sox swooped in and saved the tone of this episode. (laughs) by being the clowns that they are. I mean, I don't know, what can you do? You gotta salvage the best from a baseball week, and teams like the Angels and White Sox just know how to steal the headlines. For the wrong reason, don't get me wrong. it's the reason we talked about the Yankees for like the past (laughs) three or four episodes, but hey, you know, it's good content. It's incredibly good content. Never change, White Sox, and I know you never will. (laughs) Listen, my friend, everybody enjoys a good circus. Everybody enjoys a good clown show. The White Sox happily provided us with that this past week. And they gave us plenty of content, so you know what? I'm satisfied and smiling. It was a clown show I thoroughly enjoyed. Minus the fact that people got shot at Guaranteed Rate Field. Seriously, that's still not cool. But, besides that, not as Sad Boy Hours-esque, thankfully. Still pretty depressing, the tone. At least compared- Well, I mean, last week was just a bunch of drama episodes, and that could have been a whole lot worse, too, but- (laughs) I mean, hopefully we'll have some good news, <laughs> theoretically, minus people getting called up, of course. We're going to probably have that in spades the next time we talk, whenever that is, um, oh, yeah. because it's going to be September call-ups. But that's that. That's all she wrote for episode 72. Tony, you have any final thoughts before I close things out? Um, hmm. Closing thoughts. I haven't had to think about these in a while. I feel like... <laughs> By a while, I mean one week, because last week's outro, or last episode's outro, I I think I warped my brain into forgetting everything else that happened beforehand. Well, Uh, but that's a very long-winded way of saying, I think I'm alright. We'll see you guys next time for September call-ups, divisional races, we're probably going to go through a bunch of the most exciting teams, we'll probably talk about the Mariners, make fun of the Padres, like I said. And it should be fun. Playoff baseball is slowly but surely creeping up on us. Oh, uh, and last thing, uh, congrats to the Oakland Athletics who got eliminated in the middle of August. Okay, close the episode. <laughs> last note I'll say about an AOS team because we're shitting on them. I wonder if we were talking about divisions this week, I was going to mention the Rangers have more blown saves than converted saves. They've blown 25 saves this year. They've converted 24 right. of them. <laughs> that needs to be noted. That's- that's a 2019 Mets stat. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God bless our oldest Chapman. You bring chaos wherever you go. That'll do it for episode 72 <laughs> of the Diamond Duo podcast. Again, for Tony Puglisi, I'm Tom Bauer. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at the Diamond Duo podcast, on X, Twitter, whatever the hell you want to call it, at Diamond Duo Pod for more show content updates and more. Give us a follow on those platforms. Give us a follower subscription and rate us wherever possible. We appreciate all the support and all the feedback that you guys would be able to provide us. Hopefully, for mostly the good, the bad too, we'll take it. We're only two individuals looking to grow the show to the best it can possibly be. Why am I drowning on about that? I need to think of an outro, and I'm in the middle of one. At any rate, thank you. Enjoy your weeks. Enjoy your Labor Day. Take care. Adios.